This film has been modified from its original version. It has been formatted to fit this screen. Welcome to Syndicated Cinephiles. Hello and welcome to Syndicated Cinephiles, the podcast where we talk about movies you've seen a million times because they were on TV when you were a kid. I am your host, Madeline Cook, and today my guest is the incomparable Maddie Schultz. Oh, am I Maddie Schultz? That's fun. There, oh, Madeline. There wasn't, there wasn't room enough. For, there wasn't more room enough for one, for two. <laughs> We can't have two Madelines. I'm so sorry. You and I both have did the same thing, I'm pretty sure, which is from being born to turning 18, we're Maddie. And then when we got to undergrad, we were like, I'm Madeline now. Oh, no, I I definitely started introducing this in senior year of high school. And even then mm. it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> you were ahead of the game. We're ahead of the game than I was. I didn't start till freshman year of college when I started meeting people. And I said, Madeline. Only people from our hometown call me Maddie, and that's okay. But on occasion, when I meet someone new and we reach kind of a level of comfort that, um, like, nicknames are introduced, they'll, like, throw a Maddie in, and I fully disassociate. Like, it's... They're they're not talking about me. They're not talking to me. It's just, like, this isn't isn't the setting for Maddie. That's not... (laughs) That's not who I am. I have the opposite thing where, like, in a Freudian way, if someone I don't know that well out here calls me Maddie, I'm like, Mom? (laughs) My brain is like, you're my family. Because the only people who calls me Maddie is my family. And so I get endeared to that person very quickly. Don't call me that, though. (laughs) But don't do it. No, I've had so many people like, is it... Is it... Is it okay? Like, which one do you prefer? And I'm like, they're both accurate. You're fine. And like, but do you have a preference? And I'm like, you're not my mom. (laughs) So don't call <laughs> So don't call me Maddie. It's not right. Completely. It should be noted that in terms of guests on this show, you are my like oldest friend that has been on this so far. I have known you for the longest amount of time because I've probably known you known who you were, at least or probably met you when I was like four or something. We are from the same very small town and you were in the same grade as my older sister Olivia. So I've known you for two decades. More than two decades? Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm 99% sure Olivia and I were like in the same preschool class too. So I bet. We've been in the same vicinity. For for over two decades. Iconic. <laughs> well, should we get right to it? Do you want to talk about the movie that you brought on today? Oh, this old thing? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she won a couple Oscars, oh. but yeah, I'll talk about it. Just a few. I'm actually, I'm actually really, really excited, um, and I'm excited to talk with you about this film. We're going to talk about Silence of the Lambs. Yay! The classic. The classic. Everyone's favorite comfort film, Silence of the Lambs. Honestly, is this a comfort film for you? Oh, yes. Uh, undeniably so. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and I'm, I'm aware of how backwards that is, but this is hands down one of my comfort films. Yes. Having a bad day hang out with Clarice. <laughs> is it is it like a perfect fall morning? I gotta tune in. Gotta, gotta check out the oh. weather in Quantico. Oh my god, you mean like that opening shot where she's running through those woods and the leaves are changing colors? You're like, what a fall mood. She's doing a complete obstacle course in pearl earrings. <laughs> I forgot about that. 
yes, today we are talking about The Silence of the Lambs, directed by Jonathan Demme, 1991, based on the book series by Thomas Harris. Yeah, um, fun fact, uh, in preparation for this, I did reread the book as well. You did? Oh, yeah! Oh, absolutely! Oh my god! But I swear, the guests on this freaking podcast are such overachievers, because all I ask is that you watch the film and take a couple notes and... (laughs) Some of you fucking people, you're watching the movie multiple times. You're reading a book. Are you kidding me? Well, I, I will admit, I listened to the audiobook um, while I was finishing up my Halloween costume. And I'll tell you, uh, a weird choice to listen to Silence of the Lambs while you are in crunch time sewing a dress. <laughs> Buffalo Bill Corps. <laughs> It was a choice. Um, I finished the dress in time, but there was this thing. I I remember there was a Buffalo Bill scene where I was like, I don't like this. I don't. (laughs) You didn't feel like he was like, you know, your fun older brother that was like putting his hand on your shoulder going like, you can do it, Madeline. You can finish this dress in time. Absolutely not. (laughs) Although, although I will admit my favorite thing about uh, the few sewing sequences that we get in the film is that both buffalo bill and my own sewing machine which is my grandma's are the loudest sewing machines you've ever heard mm-hmm. so that's very vindicating to hear another machine that just goes like yes well should we dive right into the beginning yes this was one of your tv movies when was the first time you watched this movie was it on tv i don't have a distinct like this is my first viewing because truly the lambs have always been around for me they've always been there they've been screaming this whole time but i have a very good guess for how i first experienced this film it's my dad i feel like that's a very common answer (laughs) we got another dad movie ladies and gentlemen we got another dad movie um a little historical context in the life of Madeline Schultz growing up. Uh, my parents are divorced and they divorced when I was really young. And my dad, in raising both my brother and I, when we'd go to my dad's, it was like, it was different than my mom's because mom's is where we went to school. So dad's was kind of like, I'll say, quote unquote, like where we did fun stuff. Not that we didn't have fun with my mom. We did. But it's like you kind of <laughs> got to do the naughty stuff a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the quality of media that I watched at my dad's house is horrible <laughs> for the for the age that I was watching this. At my dad's house, we had a, and do not judge me, we had a theater room. We had a theater room and this wasn't- Like a screening room, like a big- Yeah, it's like, I mean, there were, there were six of us. So it's like there were six recliners, mm-hmm. a big TV, um, I mean, the generic like movie posters, like there's a poster of The Matrix. There's, <laughs> <laughs> I mostly remember The Matrix poster. Nice. Uh-huh. Um, there was a cardboard cutout of James Dean doing the doing the thing from Rebel Without a Cause. <laughs> this is this is high quality 2004 white middle class family theater <laughs> in the basement. I love that. I have two distinct memories of like the phone. I'm not in there, but the phone rings and they're like, is your dad available? I'm like, yes. So I walk with the phone. I open the theater room and my dad's mid movie. Uh, And this Mm -hmm. has happened twice. Once was Silence of the Lambs. And it's either in one of the interviews with Lecter and Clarice or, Mm -hmm. and I kid you not, I think it's truly the last shot. (laughs) 
which <laughs> worthless like truly looking at a crane shot when he's in like bermuda yeah, or whatever the fuck yeah, and it, horrible yeah. horrible haircut horrible wig horrible wig. <laughs> the wig <laughs> the wig and it's like it's that going uh the other time that this happened so it's like i'm not interested in that this movie looks this movie's boring it's two people talking to each other or it's this man in an ugly horrible outfit this man walking, walking away. away from the camera great dad here's minutes. the phone the other one was lord of the rings two towers um when there's a scene where Gollum catches a fish and he's singing a song and then just like slaps this fish when you are a child of eight ten and you walk into this very dark blue film and there's a demon on screen killing a fish i was like this is horrifying mm -hmm. this is the scariest thing <laughs> i've ever seen get me out of here um mm -hmm. and i ended up never watching uh, lord of the rings for years and now it's also one of my favorite series so thanks dad for invoking oh both boredom God. and fear as a child in me i really appreciate <laughs> it because these films are now great <laughs> when you did finally see it because that was your first little taste of it as early as eight ish and then did your dad later sit you down and say like we are going to watch this movie i don't want to say with that much intent he ever did that but mm -hmm. if there was an instance where it was like on tv and he'd be like oh maddie like come on come on come on watch this grant won't watch it you come and watch it which is also a big thing about movies in my childhood grant is a notorious movie sleeper <gasps> he will fall asleep even in Silence of the Lambs, he would fall asleep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess it's pretty quiet as far as thrillers go, yeah. especially the beginning, but... Grant, Grant would fall asleep to, like, I don't know, Fast and the Furious. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love my brother. But yeah, notorious for falling asleep uh, in movies. I mean, I was the little sister, so if my dad wanted to watch something, it's like, okay, it's what my dad's watching. And if Grant didn't want to watch whatever, like, Disney movie I wanted to watch on TV or otherwise, like... I'm losing the battle to the two guys, so. Yeah, you're outnumbered. A little bit. So in that respect, like, I don't think my dad was ever like, yeah, Madeline, come watch this. But if it was, like, about to be on TV or something, he, he would present it in a way that, like, this is a scary movie, but I know that you can watch it because Grant won't. But I know that you can, which, if you know my personality, that is just the right type of challenge for me to be like, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I'll watch oh my this God. and I'll stay awake. Mm -hmm. How old do you think you were in that instance? It's truly anywhere between 10 and 14. So let's meet in the middle and be like, this is 12-year-old Madeline Schultz spending quality time with her father watching Silence of the Lambs. That is it's amazing. It's every adolescent girl's dream. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember, like, what were your first impressions of it? Did you like it right off the bat or did you think it was like too scary for you? Did you feel weird watching it with your dad? Okay, I, d I definitely stand true to this. I don't think this is a scary movie. I don't think this is a scary movie. And I use this as a very strong example of this is a thriller. Hmm. It is, and, and that can be scary. It's not a horror movie. It's not movie. a horror movie. Because for the longest time, I'm like, I hate horror. I don't like gory movies. That's kind of changed. But I like the art of thrillers. I just, I find them more interesting than slashers. So when people are like, oh, Silence of the Lambs is too scary for me. I'm like, I don't think you understand how much of this film is tight shots of people talking to each other. <laughs> 
<laughs> that is so true. <laughs> that is so true. And I feel like to friends of mine who have never seen it before, I really do frame it in a way that is true, which is I have seen episodes of Law & Order SVU that are more graphic and upsetting than this film. I just love this film. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is also, I mean, I think you and I have the same thing with a lot of these thrillers mm-hmm. that we love, which is now we've seen it like upwards of 10 times and it is just pure comedy. It's my good best friends that I love being silly in the movie. Well, and and, and that's the other that's the other thing. So, um I actually got to see this recently my local 35mm theater Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota was putting on screenings of Silence of the Lambs for Halloween weekend. So I got our friend Riley, friend of the podcast, um, and and we went to go see this in this little 90-seat theater, which was so delightful. And afterwards, we were talking about it. And just the fact that this, yes, this is a engaging movie. It's a thriller. You're moving with it. But also for us, it has reached camp levels. This is a... (laughs) This is a campy yeah. film. These yeah. these characters are done so well, but also <laughs> they're absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yes. You know, it's already been parodied. We know about Silence the Musical. Oh, I am so glad you brought up Silence the Musical. I was wondering what what minute mark we were going to hit without talking about fucking Silence the Musical. For the uninformed, those of my friends who are not filthy, filthy theater kids, there is a musical parody version of Silence of the Lambs called Silence the Musical. I forget who did the music, but the book and lyrics is by Hunter yes. Bell. Which I just, of title I just of show. recently looked up and I was like, no. <laughs> That's why it's so fucking good. So, like, and, and yeah, what? Silence was 2009. Watch that be wrong. Watch it be like 2004. The musical. So, like, the musical? Yeah. The musical, I want to say, was like 2013. Well, that's when we listened to it. <laughs> well, I, the, the whole reason, deep dive into my first viewing of Silence of the Lambs. I purposefully watched Silence of the Lambs because my aunt was taking me on a trip to New York and I heard about this musical parody that Hunter Bell had written and I had never seen Silence of the Lambs. And so I said, I wanna see this musical parody, so I'm gonna do my research and watch Silence of the Lambs so that I can understand the musical parody of it, which is so backwards. You were a Hunter Bell stan and that's what got you to watch this <laughs> swear if either of us ever meet any of the title of show gang i'm gonna like evaporate into thin air i would just die i love like you know that's so important to us but yeah i watched this thinking i was gonna go see the musical parody and then i ended up not even being able to see it um which devastated me but meaning that it was off broadway it premiered off broadway at least it was running in 2012 2013 because that's when i went to new york i'm sorry just the differences of our initial experiences me being like this has been around me forever truly my whole like constantly and then you're like i did it as a research uh element to a musical so (laughs) i think i think um i don't think my upbringing was unique in any way just completely different and that my parents were like a little strict about what I was allowed to watch. And so even when I was, f- I was 14 and I said, mom and dad, I want to watch Silence of the Lambs. They were like, I don't know if you're ready for that. 
they like almost didn't let me watch it but they were like I guess you're in high school so we can't really like censor what you watch so sure so they watched it with me um and of course I had watched a ton of SVU at that point and I was like that was not that scary but it was great but they were really surprised because I think they hadn't seen it in its entirety since they saw it in theaters and they just remembered being scared shitless I have a question and you might have to ask your sweet parents did they see it around opening weekend? Do you know when opening weekend was? No, when was opening weekend? I'm 99% sure it was Valentine's Day weekend. <laughs> Wait, did your parents see it together? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'd heard that. I feel like you told me that before. Yes. That they saw that for Valentine's Day? I, I am pretty sure that they were supposed to have like a Thanksgiving release or a Christmas release and then it got pushed mm-hmm. and they're like, okay, if we're going to keep up this holiday theme. <laughs> mm, nothing. And look, the holiday season is coming up. Treat your loved ones to a viewing of Silence and Lambs. Yes. So I, I, I called my dad. I was like, did you take mom to the theater? He goes, yeah, yeah, we saw this in theater. I was like, okay, did you go opening weekend? And he's like, I don't know. I was really excited about the movie. So like I would guess opening weekend. So... Sorry to Paul's faulty memory, whether it was actually <laughs> Valentine's Day or not. But, um, you know, they're divorced now, so they it was, it was a sign <laughs> even then. <laughs> I don't know if my parents saw it together, but my mom always tells the same story of seeing it for the first time, which is that she bought a, like, large king-size Kit Kat for herself for the movie. She was like, oh, I can't wait to fucking eat this. And then when the movie started, she, like, began to unwrap it and then paused and never touched it again throughout the movie. It sat on her lap the whole time because she was so engaged with what was happening in the movie. She was like, I couldn't take my eyes away from what was happening. I didn't want to open my candy. Honestly, that is, that's so impressive. Um, I would never leave a Kit Kat unsnapped, so... (laughs) Agreed. I don't care the situation. If I have a Kit Kat, it is open. I'm consuming it right there and then. <laughs> Agreed. I'm glad we can agree on this. So before you did this recent rewatch, mm-hmm. when do you think was the last time you watched it? The last time I went home. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're talking July. <laughs> <laughs> That's so real, though, because I watch this movie at least twice a year, either on purpose or because it's on TV when I'm home. And you know what? It is it is one of my favorite things about coming home because, yes, my dad was definitely my dad definitely facilitated my movie intake as a child. Like my favorite movies when I was younger were very, I would say, like masculine facing Troy, which which. <laughs> calling out you didn't mention that at all during the gladiator episode and i'm pissed (laughs) (laughs) i colton butcher on blast (sighs) sorry troy Um, the (laughs) born series my dad and i watched (gasps) the born series with matt damon religiously and then you mentioned a matrix poster yeah ask me ask me how young i was when i saw the matrix i don't know but too young But now a majority of my like movies when I go home are facilitated with my mom because I stay at my mom's house. You know what? Good for Silence of the Lambs. I don't think they let any specific channel own them because they're playing it. They're playing it all over the place. TNT, AMC, BBC America. USA. USA. (laughs) You know, TCM, if we're lucky and won't get commercial Mm -hmm. breaks. But yeah. If I go home for a few days and it's on, I'm tuning in. 
I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I'm so glad that we're on the same page about this both being a comfort movie for us because almost every time I come home from LA, it is such a long trip and it's like I miss home so much and I'm just so like completely drained and so happy to finally be back home like with all my things and my dog and everything. One of the last times I was home, I arrived at like 3 p.m. exhausted. I curl up on the couch. My dad is working from home and I put on something to like take a nap to, right? Silence of the Lambs is on. I turn it on. My dad stares at me in disbelief. He says, you're going to take a nap during this movie? And I said, it's like the universe knew I was coming home. Like they knew I was getting home at this hour. And it's like the house is welcoming me with open arms and saying, you're safe here. We love you. (laughs) Too true. Whenever I watch this film at home, now as an adult and i'm and i'm with my mom it's in our living room which is actually an expansion on the house and so on one of the walls on my living room is what used to be a window to the outdoors but now it's to this room but that's where our kitchen sink is so my mom will be like a cute she'll be like housewifing it up washing the dishes and i'm watching silence of the lambs and she's quietly washing the dishes and tit for tat every time and I, I know you like to ask this often when i'm tuning into this and it's already playing on tv you uh-huh. know it's it's the scene of their like last interview i think it's their fourth interview when they're in like the tennessee courthouse and it's yeah right before officer boyle just gets killed and then strung up and i'm, I'm watching this i'm like sitting quietly and i'm like that's this is beautiful this conversation that they're having and this shot, this shot is so good. And then my mom from the kitchen sink every single time goes, I just wish they'd zoom in closer on that body. <laughs> the body that is disemboweled yes, the, like an angel, angel on the flanked, on the bars. And, and retired <laughs> kindergarten teacher, Sue, <laughs> goes... I wish they'd zoom in closer. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? Me too. After seeing this, yep. After seeing this so many fucking times, I agree. They did such a damn good special effects job. Get in there. Release the corpse. I want to see it. (laughs) (laughs) Release the corpse cut, honey. Uh, But like that, that's, that's. That that scene is gory. It's like, that is a scary scene. And and that yeah. is one of the, if not the most gory moment in that film. Yeah. And my mom and I are both sitting in pure harmony being like, this is pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Two small town Wisconsin gals sitting together and going, this is such a cute. Wow. <laughs> this, this mise-en-scene is just so gorge. And I love that. You know what? I love that. <laughs> Yes. Watch Silence of the Lambs with your sweet little mother, everybody, if you've never seen it oh. before. <laughs> Agreed. By the way, for those who have never seen it before, um, would you like to give a very brief synopsis? I'm sure most people have seen it. If you haven't seen it, we will be talking about spoilers, most definitely. So if you don't want spoilers, click off now. But um, Maddie will give you a very yeah. brief synopsis. I mean, we it, we beautifully illustrated the opening sequence where young um, FBI cadet yeah, trainee, trainee, trainee. trainee. He calls her a trainee. Um, Clarice Starling is running an obstacle course in Quantico, and she gets called in to the principal's office, to, like, the director <laughs> of the FBI, at, at least the behavioral mm-hmm. science unit, Jack Crawford. And he's like, hello, I have a special 
case for you because you once roasted me at a college lecture. And he explains that uh, the FBI is interviewing incarcerated serial killers to try and get a better understanding on how their brains work and why they do what they do. And most of these interviewees love to talk, except the one, Hannibal the Cannibal. Truly gay uncle. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying, that's he, the vibe. He's queer, queer icon Hannibal Lecter, um, yep. at least through my lens of 2023. <laughs> we haven't even mentioned names. Uh, Clarice, played by the fantastic Jody Jody. <laughs> Leave it to Madeline Schultz to make an assassin's reference off the bat. You cannot mention something that has ever been in a Sondheim show without Madeline Schultz going, oh, I'll do a little bit. Oh, Jody, Jody. Yes, Jodie Foster, fantastic as Clarice Starling. She was not the first choice, and to that I say, fooey. I don't agree. <laughs> I don't agree. I can't remember some of the other actresses' names that they put up, but I was like, I won't watch it. Michelle Pfeiffer. Ew. Star of Grease 2. I mean, the movie She was slapped. a cool writer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Jody's coming in with Freaky Friday under her belt. <laughs> oh, true. Also a taxi driver, but yeah, Freaky Friday is more important to me. <laughs> <laughs> Freaky Friday is the better film. <laughs> Thank you. We all know. We all know. But yes, Jodie Foster, fantastic as Clarice. So she gets to go to Baltimore, which is where Hannibal Lecter is, uh, to interview him. But it's all a ploy by Jack Crawford of the FBI to try and get information on a current serial killer, an active serial killer that the FBI is trying to catch, named Buffalo Bill, who Ooh. is abducting and killing women. He's hoping that Hannibal Lecter has a little, little info because he's a famous psychiatrist. Him and Frasier. Him. <laughs> Talk Best <about> friends. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'd watch a show about Hannibal doing like a call-in radio show. <laughs> Honestly? That's what the Frasier reboot should have been. They should have switched places. Yes. I'm, I'm absolutely <laughs> into this. Like... Uh, I mean, we're in the time of remakes, so why not do a remake of Silence of the Lambs? Um, and you know, you know, if it was modernized, there would there would be little Hannibal stands and they'd be like, I'm here for my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'd have a podcast, which would be called what? <laughs> this is Hannibal's podcast. Yeah. Mm. Eat Your Heart Out. Oh, very good. With I'll Hannibal Lecter. Cute. <laughs> And he talks about he talks about relationship problems. Ooh, <laughs> that's actually so good. You ever do a bit like that, and then you're like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute, should I write that?" That's Pretty my hard. whole life because I'm delusional. <laughs> but anyways, uh, they're trying to track down Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill, and they think that uh, Hannibal might give them a leg up on the search. But Hannibal's not gonna he's not gonna help out easily. Fuck the FBI. <laughs> In this fictitious circumstance, don't come for me, <laughs> FBI listeners. <laughs> I did look at the analytics for this podcast, and we have five listeners from Quantico, which is so crazy. That number's about <laughs> to go up, baby. I know, honey. 
Um, that was a great synopsis. Yeah. And of course, Hannibal Lecter is played by Anthony Hopkins. Fantastic. Jack Crawford is played by Scott Glenn, who anytime I see him in another movie, I'm like, you're Jack Crawford. Shut the fuck up. Like, that's, you'll always be Jack Crawford. I could, I don't think I could name another film that man has been in. Have you seen Backdraft? No. You should watch Backdraft. He's okay. in it. And every time he opens his mouth, I'm like, shouldn't you be in Quantico? <laughs> Jack, little Jackie boy. <laughs> yes, and then Buffalo Bill is played by Ted Levine, and um, his victim, Catherine Martin, is played by Brooke Smith, who I believe is on Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, and then you know the the main crux of the movie is the relationship between Clarice and Hannibal, and she's trying to get answers from him, but he wants to get in her head, and they become friendly and everything, and. Uh, and as we both agree, give off gay uncle and gay niece vibes. Oh, absolutely. This is a very, I think that's the thing too, when we talk about the campiness of it all. I don't know. Like, I I agree that I think Hannibal is queer coded. We talked about this mm-hmm. weirdly in the Gladiator episode that he's queer coded. <laughs> but God, some of the fucking one-liners that he throws out. Love the suit. Well, that being such a tongue-in-cheek line to say to... Uh, Catherine's mother because he's blatantly the FBI hasn't figured out that Buffalo Bill is making a suit out of female skin or women's skin so Hannibal being like love the suit is such an attack because one she's wearing a killer suit she's wearing Mm -hmm. a killer suit yeah Um, Senator Martin looks so good but he's deliberately being like it's a pun he's like (laughs) He is so punny. Okay, I never, like, made that connection of love the suit and skin suit. But, yeah, the whole Lewis friend, iron sulfide stuff. He's always doing the anagrams. He loves an anagram. Loves he a does. puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, he's gay uncle who invites you over to play bananagrams. The most low-key of all table games. <laughs> Back to my regularly scheduled questions that I like to ask. How many times do you think you've seen this movie? She had to guess. Well over 20. Yeah. Well over. Um, yeah. I don't want to be like outrageous and be like, oh, I've seen this a hundred times. I don't know about that. Probably all the way through, accurately 20. I've yeah. probably seen this film 20 times front to back. How many times have I just tuned into random scenes? The end? Countless times. <laughs> <laughs> that crane shot, honey? <laughs> I watch it every day. I've I've seen it a lot, which is which is again why I think I mean you and I have both allowed it to grow beyond in and of itself. Like yes, is it an Oscar winner? Is it an important film, historical historical, in a way, yeah, film of its time. But that's not why I watch it. <laughs> I I don't need the Oscars. I'm sorry, I don't need the Academy to tell me to watch this film. And it it should be noted that this is one of three movies that won all big five Oscars. You know the other ones? No, that's not what I thought this was going to segue as because I absolutely thought you were going to be like, there's more f- films in this series. To which I was like, I have seen none of them. And, <laughs> and won't. Bestie, keep it that way. <laughs> I mean, you know what? I hate the movie Hannibal. <laughs> it has maybe some camp value in that Gary Oldman has like no face in it. And that's kind of funny. And at one point, he asks Hannibal in a flashback if he wants a popper. That's also funny to me. And it has Julianne Moore. 
But other than that, it is just hate it, like dog shit story. And then I actually do think I've I think I've seen Red Dragon or at least parts of it because that's that's got Ralph themes. Rafe. Rafe Fines. But Sorry, that's... everybody. I pronounced both portions of your name wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's a puzzler. But I've actually heard pretty good stuff about Red Dragon. I have not seen that one, but people people like that one. I read that book, too. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, there is the Michael Mann movie, Manhunter, which yes. is the okay. same story as Red Dragon. It's based off of the Red Dragon book. It's just called a different name. But it's about Will, whatever his name. Graham. <laughs> you were so quick with that. Graham. As performed by um, Hugh Dancy in the in television the show? show Hannibal. A show that I have seen many times, but truly don't know if I've ever finished it. That's another one that I, I know people love. Because whenever I say, like, I only like Sounds of the Lambs, people are like, but you should watch Hannibal. Like, you should watch the TV show Hannibal with Matt Mickelson. So you've seen most of it. You just don't know if you've seen the ending. <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually finished it because like because <laughs> life gets in the way or whatever yeah. with Raul Esparza right yes Raul Esparza makes an appearance oh yeah he plays um Chilton right for those who haven't seen the character of Frederick Chilton is that the name that sounds um right. yeah that sounds right who runs the psychiatric hospital slash prison where Hannibal is in the movie Silence of the Lambs, he's the guy who's like a creep to Clarice and it's like Baltimore can be quite a fun town if you have the right guide. Trash man. Just I know. Ugh. Disgusting. More disgusting than Hannibal. That's actually if we're gonna talk about the big overarching things about this movie, mm-hmm. this is such a nineties rad femme movie in that men are dogs. Men are trash. And I think really the only man who like acts right in this movie completely is fucking Barney. Yes. The orderly. The yes. orderly who works and like shows her where to go and is like, you'll do fine. You'll be great. Barney, a gentleman through and through. Mm-hmm. No, this is something that I was paying attention to specifically with this watch because I was like, I've seen this movie so many times. Like I can quote this movie, but I really tried to focus on like what's happening in unsaid moments or like what's in the background and even just the sequence where we first meet Clarice and after she's sent to go to Crawford's office she has to go through like all of these different buildings in Quantico and all of them are filled with men just walking around in groups and there's a shot of her entering the elevator and the elevator is packed with these men. I tried to look up how tall Jodie Foster is. I did a bad job and couldn't find it. But like all of these, all of these men are like minimum six foot three. They're all wearing matching red shirts. And then Jodie catches the elevator at the last minute. And she is at least a foot shorter than this entire elevator of men. It's very much a deliberate like, look at what I'm trying to say in this shot. But it's such a good shot. Yep. She is 5'3". Yeah. I just looked it up. <laughs> but yeah, which is the average female height, I think, is 5'4". So, like, she's not even that short. It really is just trying to illustrate, like, she sticks out because she's a woman. In that scene, she is not presented in a feminine way at all, besides those pearl earrings, baby. Um, <laughs> she's, wear- she's wearing a turtleneck with a gray crew neck sweatshirt with visible sweat like she's not looking good but she's still so out of place and i love it 
Yeah. Uh, I think we would be remiss to not talk about specifically the cinematography in this movie. The cinematographer, one of my... I have my big gripes about the Oscars. And one of my big gripes is that the cinematographer, Tak Fujimoto, he was not nominated for this movie. This movie's... And he also did Philadelphia, too, if you've seen that Jonathan Demme movie. Very similar. Lots of centered shots and stuff. But this movie especially uses so many point of view shots from Clarice's point of view there's that scene yeah where she's they're going to the funeral of Frederica Bimmel the final girl that they found and she is in a room with a bunch of the cops Mm -hmm. and they're all staring her and it's just a slow pan that the camera is panning across all these tough looking men in mustaches just kind of looking at her like what the fuck are you doing here uh yeah I love it no I, I I love those POV changes they're they're fantastic Mm-hmm. There's there's also there there's one it's a training sequence where <laughs> Jody's got like all of these like boxing accoutrements, but the, the camera first shows you Jody and then it switches so that the camera's Jody getting punched and you're like no yeah it's her getting punched and then when she gets called out to go talk to Crawford because he's about to say uh, mm-hmm. multiple Migs who we haven't even mentioned <laughs> have been killed LMAO. Um, she it is it's another pov shot because we see her friend ardelia who i i I love being like confused like she's looking at the camera like where are you going what's happening why are they calling you out and it's her seeing going over to whoever the uh, teacher is of that class and him being like crawford wants to see you direct to camera yes and i i really appreciate that that every time it switches to clarice's point of view it's done so well because that could easily become like a shtick yeah but it's in very important moments or just prefacing very important moments yeah you're so right they're like so purposeful with it Mm -hmm. they don't just throw them around they really because i could really only name you like three or four significant pov shots that are memorable and feel like they last a long time and because of that they do feel so important i mean you just referenced migs do you want to talk about maybe the most (laughs) notable shot that's actually the biggest part of this movie that I'm surprised that your dad let you watch it <laughs> because the gore is one thing but the character of multiple migs when Clarice goes to meet Hannibal Lecter for the first time after she's finished she walks past another cell with a psycho named multiple migs who the first time she went past said I can smell your cunt and then the next time she walks past him what does he say I bit my wrist look at the blood yeah yeah it's 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 like i bit my wrist or i cut my wrist like look at the blood look at the blood and then <laughs> he is he's masturbating jerking off. he's jerking it <laughs> and then throws the product of his jerking it into her face it gets in her hair it is upsetting it is it, that's actually more upsetting to me than any of the gore in the movie the viscosity that the <laughs> special effects team successfully produced thank you do you think there's something about mary was a direct reference to this film (laughs) i'm gonna tell you right now there's something about mary a film i've never seen it's in in its entirety but a scene that i have absolutely seen (laughs) flipping through the channels (laughs) and the answer is yes I'm on the exact same page as you. I have never seen that entire movie. I've gotten damn close when it's been on TV. And every time I try to watch it on TV, I'm like, the way people praise this movie, like it is the funniest thing of all time. And I just don't get it. 
So that's multiple MIGs. And then um, because because that happens, it's never really clear how Hannibal gets him to die, but he swallows his own tongue and dies. They're not cellmates, but their cells are Partners, next to each neighbors, other. Neighbors, yeah. And their little interview before that was not very successful. It ended with the two of them just like... Yeah, he dismisses her. He's he dismisses like, he's like I'm, I'm not... Why would I help the FBI? Why would I help you? Yeah. And she has, A, that scare with multiple MIGs, but also that very vulnerable moment. But um, Hannibal Lecter calls her back and he's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I would never have wanted that to happen to you. And you're like, oh my God, a gentleman? <laughs> <laughs> the bar is so low for men. The bar's... Oh, God. But he's like, you know what? You just had this outrageous thing happen to you. I will read this inter- these in- this packet of interview questions that yeah. the FBI is asking the serial killers. I'll look it over. I'm not going to answer it, but I'll look it over for you. Yeah. And then he gives her a little clue. In the form of not an anagram. Well, yes. Yes, it is. It is eventually an anagram. It's a, two- yeah. it's a two-part clue. Yeah. It is not We're- an anagram in the first part. But you got to be smart enough to break through the first clue to find the anagram. (laughs) Um, Hannibal Lecter loves games, everyone. He does. Can you imagine Um, him hosting a game night? (laughs) I would fail. You you know the invitation itself would be like some sort of puzzle, and I would end up in like the red herring location. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, ultimately he gives Clarice a clue. He's like, look deep into... yourself wink and like look up this um one lady's name miss moffitt and then he proceeds to spell it and that's the anagram Mm -hmm. (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and clarice is a smart cook she's a smart cookie she gets out of there because she's like i got the serial killers i've just been ejaculated on i need to get out of here but She's still on top of it that she remembered audibly those clues. Right. Like the fact that it's not until an autopsy that they do later for another character that Clarice has a little recording device. I am not cut out to be a detective in the slightest. <laughs> that's that's weirdly what I think of anytime I watch or see clips from The Devil Wears Prada. I'm like, how did they do this without phones and voice memos because the way Miranda Priestly will rattle off 15 different tasks for her to do and she's just and at first she's like what huh but then later they're just like memorizing that whole thing I'm like are you kidding me I would have a tape recorder at all times absolutely you're getting me I can give you the first task and I can give you the last task how many ever in the middle not happening No. So that 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 in that in that incites the plot. Like here we go. We've, yes. we've started a collection of little clues that may or may not help Clarice and the FBI find Buffalo Bill. And it's like they don't have any leads. The F- the FBI is floundering. Yeah. So we'll we'll play games with notable cannibal. <laughs> cannibal Lecter. Because tax dollars, whatever. Fuck it. This is such a copaganda movie. I love it. This is the only cop film I will watch. You know, I'm so curious because like, fuck copaganda. But at the same time, I just talked about how I've seen all of SVU and still watch it like an idiot. What are there? There are, I'm sure, some other police detective type stuff. Because weren't you also a devotee of Mindhunter? You were. I know you were. Loved Mindhunter. Fucking thank you. Loved Mindhunter. Mindhunter Hive, rise up. Our boy Johnny Groff leads (laughs) that show. 
And we are at heart spring awakening teens until the day we die. Mindhunter, which we never got a third season of, there was a little tease that there might be a third season somewhat recently, and then the, and then David Fincher was like, nah, I was fucking kidding. <laughs> We're not doing that. <laughs> Unforgettable. For those of you listening, if you have ever contemplated watching Mindhunter, I cannot urge you more to watch it. I think it is my favorite David Fincher property actually I, I like it more than all of his movies i love that show and i think it's like a tragedy that we never got more of it and talking about it right now makes me want to rewatch it and i think we're gonna watch the pilot after we end this <laughs> it's like tis this season it's like it's a fall it's a fall it vibe. is yes yes completely um are there any other like cop there's gotta be right were you a criminal minds kid i i float i float in and out i always get really really sad uh when it gets to the portion uh where matthew gray uh googler uh, just becomes addicted to drugs i'm like i can't i can't watch this anymore uh, you just care too much i'm an empathetic watcher except when it's silence of the lamps speaking of i want to hear favorite parts I gotta hear favorite parts. Arguably, yes, this is a good film, but I could watch a smash cut of this film that is just Clarice and Hannibal's interviews. Mm. I mean, what, Anthony's only in this movie for 30 minutes? I could watch a 30-minute film. Trivia, it is the second shortest performance to win an Academy Award for Best Actor in Leading Role at 24 minutes and 52 seconds. I can't believe I didn't mention this early. I'm so sorry, people that have been waiting for more book facts. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Thomas Harris is angrily listening to this, like, they're not fucking talking about me. But there there is a place in the deep cockles of my heart that I fully believe that Anthony Hopkins was like, I have such limited time. I need to pull something directly from the books. And I just hope that he asked the costumes, props, special effects department to be like, can I get that sixth finger on my hand? Hannibal has a sixth finger in the book. Hannibal has 11 fingers. What? I know. And you you know Anthony read the book. He he prepped for the role. Come on. Oh, so he yeah. read the book. And you know, I will not accept that he wasn't like, prosthetics, please? I'm imagining <laughs> like a little, a fucking wax pinky added on at the end. You know that would have looked like shit. <laughs> <laughs> I would have respected it. Like truly not mentioned at all. I would have just loved to see an extra appendage, an extra yeah. phalange. Are there any more big uh, book differences like that no disrespect to characterization but Catherine is amazing in the books really amazing she's just given she's given more of a backbone and i mean there's it's it's a different it's a different media form so you get to you get to experience more um inside and inner thoughts of characters but there Mm -hmm. is a sequence where she's in the oubliette uh in buffalo bill's basement and she's malnourished, she's tired, she's scared, and she is just kind of like mentally preparing herself. She has this monologue where she goes, if I can get him, like, I, I don't know what he wants, but if I can get him close enough to fuck me, like, if I can somehow entice him with my body, because there's something about my, like, there's something about my body. She doesn't know what's going on yet. Mm-hmm. She's like, if I can get him close enough to fuck me, he is close enough to fight and that line kills me oh man because in the film and like 
it's a helpless position to be in. Absolutely. And we we get the little bit of fight when Catherine starts um, to come up with her plan of like, how can I get out? And we haven't even mm-hmm. mentioned precious folks. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we have to do a whole second episode about precious. <laughs> Just about precious. Um, played by Darla. Is it Darla the dog? It is Darla. Shout out. But no, Kath, book Catherine. Just she's prepped to fight she she will make her way out of that oubliette i don't know if i can like give you a specific like hannibal moment that i love but it's just do you have any favorite lines that stand out to you Ooh, um let's see i mean second rate shoes is funny as shit second rate shoes is so good Um, he says to her because he asks her a question and then she's looking down and he goes the answer isn't on those second rate shoes clarice one of my favorite Hannibal lines was, and this is exactly how it's performed, folks. Was it a butterfly? <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, yes, a moth. And then it follows into caterpillar turning into chrysalis or pupa. It's just... <laughs> or pupa? Top 10 lines from that movie. For real, because of the way he says it, he goes chrysalis or pupa. So nasally. <laughs> oh, that was good. <laughs> I, I think just... of or pupa it's like you know something that you just say to yourself sometimes when you're cooking dinner you go or pupa the performance of that line because his eyes are dead that entire time mm-hmm. when, when he's thinking about his little butterfly um <laughs> I, I i should also mention a favorite line which hannibal lecter does uh completely steal he uh, did not originate this line people will say we're in love <laughs> which if you thought we were done with musical references we're not Mm -mm -mm. that's not even our fault that's in the fucking movie hannibal lecter oklahoma stan yeah that's another reason you know i'm not saying straight men cannot love musical theater but it's all these things combined where i'm like gay uncle who the fuck else would be like let me pull out a rogers and hammerstein lyric are you kidding me i want to know what hannibal lecter thinks about dear evan hansen no God, no. <laughs> I want to know. No. Like, that is not psychology. <laughs> no, I want to know. I want to know what Hannibal Lecter thinks about Laurie's dream sequence in the revival <laughs> of Oklahoma. The full id sequence uh, that we got in the 2019 Oklahoma revival. I want to know Hannibal Lecter's thoughts. I've never heard the term Oklahoma. That is so good. Do you have a, um, well, actually, before I ask your least favorite part, I want to say what my favorite part is because yes, it's, it includes characters we have not touched on yet. It is the two bug boys that so Clarice good. is friends with at the, they're like at a museum or something. It's the, it's the Smithsonian. Okay. <laughs> the most famous museum. I'm like, some fucking museum. It's... The most famous museum. Um, yeah, Clarice um, in one of the bodies, and they find this in all of the bodies of the victims of Buffalo Bill, there is a cocoon of a death's head moth in all of the bodies. Clarice finds one in Frederica Bimmel. She pulls it out. She takes it to her friend's. We never really know why they're friends, but they're like, like how's FBI training going? Old classmates. <laughs> they probably all went to, like, the University of Virginia together. Yeah, that that's, like, the vibe. 
um, she brings it to them and she's like, can you identify this for me? Like nobody knows what it is. And one of them says my favorite line of the entire movie, which is, you mean this is evidence from like a real crime scene? Cool. (laughs) Do you know who that actor is? It comes full circle because the biggest thing that most people know him from is that he is Bulldog from Frasier. Yes. Okay. That's what I was. I was like, I, it, it was a sitcom. It was Frasier. He, yes. He is the recurring other radio show host who's like a total dick, like very overly hetero, nasty man. And so to see him go from Bulldog to cutesy little, also gay coded. I think the actor himself is gay. Um, cool guy who's like, ooh, bugs. I have that exact quote written out phonetically for cool in my notes. (laughs) It's so good. And then honestly, some of my other favorite parts are Buffalo Bill and his basement. I Goodbye Horses is no longer scary to me. It's just like, oh, he has good music taste. He's cool. Yes. I don't love what Buffalo Bill is doing. <laughs> Thank you for getting that out of the way. I was Thank concerned you. about your stance on Thank skinning you. women and making them into a suit. But I love Buffalo Bill. Correct. It's such Love the sin or hate the sin. Truly just played to perfection. Mm. No. And you know, I think I think it's important to reference this because I, I I told a friend that I was going to A see Science of the Lambs, B that it's one of my favorite movies, and then C I'm doing this all for a podcast. And this friend was like, I I've never seen that. Um and I was like, Oh, do you like do you think it's scary? Like, no, I don't I don't really like um I don't like how it treats trans people. And I I think that's such a relevant point. And I actually brought that up to our friend Riley, who's a trans man. And knowing that I was going to get a little bit of bias from Riley, because I know Riley likes this film, but I was like, how do you feel about how Buffalo Bill is presented as a trans man? And like, tell me more about that, because Science of the Lambs, and rightfully so, does not present trans people in a good light. And there was backlash, and it deserves that backlash, both from the book and from the film. But I was talking with Riley and I brought up, I was like, I, I, I've read the book and you you learn a little bit more from the rep from John Hopkins, who is like, because one of the ways they figure out Buffalo Bill's identity is Lecter is like, check with John Hopkins, she who hasn't passed the test, she who got flagged by the tests, which in and of itself, not great that there was tests, but in the book, the rep explains more about the processes of um, medical transitioning and why Buffalo Bill failed those failed the psychological aspect of those tests Mm. and they breeze over it in the film which I hate but narratively Buffalo Bill is not a trans person I think I interpret Buffalo Bill as a transient person James Gum is lost and is trying to find some semblance in the world and is trying to put on a new any new character because they they don't like themselves and unfortunately Mm -hmm. this has taken such a horrible turn and that turn is serial killing women to make his own 
metamorphosis out mm-hmm. of this suit of skin. And Riley and I were talking about it, and Riley Riley agrees um, in in that respect. The film and the the story of Silence of the Lambs has harmed the trans community in the fact that people not out people outside of the community see this and they're like oh scary this must be accurate and it's like that's not true and this is this character and unfortunately this character is an antagonist so it like there's there's an unfortunate reality in that but I also try to see media in the time it was created and then where I'm currently watching it Mm -hmm. and I mean we've been roasting this film for a majority of this podcast um, and that we we find it camp and I firmly believe that Silence of the Lambs is prepped for its revival through the queer lens. I want trans and LGBTQ people to take Silence of the Lambs and make it their own. Like I'm like guys it's all there I want this for you <laughs> um, I, I want that narrative to switch and it, it's it's because I have nostalgia for this film I have absolutely upside down turn around nostalgia for this film <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's 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 unfortunate that it it fully presented the conflicts that it has like yeah uh, Thomas Harris you could have you could have wrote it better from the beginning and that's your fault yeah it's I'm I'm glad you brought it up because I think that is one of the biggest parts of this movie culturally anytime you talk about it. Especially I think anytime you talk about it in <laughs> I don't want to say normal groups of people. Uh anyone who is like not <laughs> right wing or is not like a centrist or whatever. So the people that we hang around with. It is kind of acknowledged as like a problematic fave. I feel like Mm -hmm. in our circles because of the way that it depicts trans people. I mean, I talked about how I fucking love the goodbye horses scene, but that is clearly meant to be a sickening scene. A, because, yeah, he is wearing the scalp of a woman. That's scary. But it really is posed as the scariest thing is that he, like, tucks his penis and, oh, isn't it so freaky how he wants to be a woman? Yeah, Riley and I were talking about it. We were talking about it. I was like, that is not even remotely scary if anything like that is romantic isn't the right word but it's a romantically vulnerable scene like the way Mm -hmm. it's presented and it hurts it hurts yeah yeah it's also interesting too i think this is a uh i'm saying this as the least informed person on like gay subcultures and and stuff like that but jane gum is an interesting character in that we don't get a lot of his backstory. Uh, there is backstory to be had that is shown mm-hmm. in, I think, later books or or other other forms of media. We get more of like a... Because like he was abused by his parents or like killed his grandparents or whatever. There's a mm-hmm. lot of backstory there about that he's always been, uh, you know, uh, fucked up. But also we see in his basement, we see Polaroids of him with like strippers and sex workers. We see swastika imagery. And I know that is, there is a gay subculture that uses like Third Reich imagery, leather daddy type stuff. And so, so it's interesting, but it all comes from, it's the type of thing where you take specific things from specific Mm -hmm. subcultures, but you yourself as Jonathan Demme, are just some guy <laughs> and you're you're taking things without being super informed to the meaning of them and making this mm-hmm. amalgam of scary gender confused yeah 
weirdo. I'm I'm so glad you saw this with Riley, who, as we as noted, is like another one of our good longtime friends, uh, mm-hmm. high school friend. Shout out to Riley Donovan. Um, and he and I would fucking jam on this movie all the time before before he came out to us. I mm-hmm. I remember I made him a locket of um and i put a picture of clarice and ardelia in it because we would kind of call ourselves because early on he was like pursuing a criminal psych in undergrad yes and i was like oh my god you're like clarice and i'm ardelia like i'm the friend that's like you go (laughs) and so we would like compare ourselves to this movie all the time we'd watch it all the time together and then i haven't really touched it with him since he came out so i i really was glad to hear that he was going to see it with you because i you know he has a right to feel how he wants to feel about any film but i was like Mm -hmm. oh this is such a good movie and all the fun times we had together watching it (laughs) we had the time of our lives seeing that in theater like it's i mean thank you to the it was a sold out show so thank you to the other 88 88 people that were there but i would have loved to have been in that theater alone with riley because we were like slapping each other on the arm or like turning was was nobody else reacting there were like little reactions but we were locked into this film and right and and i asked i was like riley when's the first time you've seen this and he said it would have been one didn't bat an eyelash which that's fully how riley works and he was like Oh, it was in 2014 with you and Madeline. Oh! And I was like, are you sure it wasn't 2013? Because I would have been in college in 2014. And Riley was like, no, it was 2014. And I was like, then I trust you more than I trust me, which means I (laughs) came home. (laughs) Probably for a holiday. But I came home for my friends to watch Silence of the Lambs together in (laughs) Madeline's basement. (laughs) I would like to point out, if you've ever heard stories about my high school life and all the goofy things I got up to with my friends, Maddie Schultz was 100% there for all the movie viewings had in my basement, including Tootsie. The Graduate. (laughs) I remember specifically one night baking fucking Toll House cookies and watching The Graduate in my basement. And both of my parents kind of being like, oh fun and i'm like like my parents were out drinking at my age like they were like doing crazy shit and i'm like yeah me and my friends were thinking of making cookies and watching a mike nichols movie we were really cool teenagers (laughs) (laughs) look we were on choir board okay do you have a least favorite part of this movie for me it was literally the the trans angle i couldn't really think of anything else that i disliked at all I mean, angle, yes. Plot-wise, you could have created any other villain yeah. with en- with any other background. I kind of went with, like, what are the portions of the film that I am thrilled to skip? Like, I will mm. get up, I'll go to the bathroom, I'll pop some popcorn. Like, I can miss this. Yeah. I'm sor- And I'm so sorry to say, it's every single scene with Scott Glenn. I can't stand Jack Crawford. He's giving me <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Every single scene, he gives me nothing. Yeah, it is, I will say, that is why I think it's worth watching another Scott Glenn movie, like (laughs) Backdrop. (laughs) Purely because when you watch Silence of the Lambs, you're like, is this guy not an actor? He's like so buttoned up, barely opening his mouth. Like he's really, 
he's so he's naturalistic to the point that he's weird in a movie you fully believe that he is the head of the fbi and yeah. they were like we can't have anyone play the head of the fbi bring in the actual <laughs> head of the fbi yeah yeah so it's like a weirdly really good performance because of how strange and overly naturalistic it is but it also a sticks out like a sore thumb and b does mean they are they are a bit slow and you know i didn't realize this but we've kind of been talking about the film in chronological order and i want to update my favorite part because we haven't actually gotten to it what it's watching jodie foster and here's the behind the scenes element everyone she is in a completely lit room but in the scene the lights have been cut by buffalo bill and he's walking around with these night vision glasses and so we're seeing this like kind of green and black like night vision thing and jodie foster does some of the best acting in this film walking around a room slapping walls holding her gun because it's dark and she can't see while there are visible shadows everywhere (laughs) so she (laughs) she is in a fully lit if not overly lit room and part of this scene, she, she again, she's in a dark room. And she turns because she can kind of like hear well where Buffalo Bill is. And he like goes to like grab her face. And Jody's like, she's acting. She's doing it. Where she's mm-hmm. like, you think he's going to touch her? And she's like, Whoa, her eyes get really big. Phenomenal acting. It's in, it's in the last like five, maybe 10 minutes at most. And every time I'm like, I'm in awe. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, she's doing that thing that you do when your eyes can't adjust, where they're opening overly wide to yes. try to get as much light, and you're just like blinking a million times, like trying to get your eyes to adjust. It's definitely like evocative, and it makes you feel like that feeling of like when you're in a room that's insanely dark and you can't, you just can't get your bearings. It is such a good scene, and the tension is so high. But it is so funny to me when you realize when the magic of Hollywood leaves and you see Buffalo Bill lift up his gun because he's going to shoot her in the back. And there's Mm -hmm. just a huge shadow of his arm on her back. (laughs) And I love it. So do you have, if you had to pick, a favorite performance in this movie? Don't make me fight between between Jodie and Anthony. Don't make me fight. Yeah. But I do. I love Jodie. She's so young in this. And she Mm -hmm. is just knocking it out of the park, which then sucks because the next couple of thrillers she made were just... I'm in a panic room thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) That was... You play the framed... I, on, occa- on occasion, yes, it's it's been a hot second. Uh, was was uh, panic room it was, recently? It was panic room like two days ago, nice. and I I got it on like the second one, and I've never seen the film. Uh, I've seen that film once, and it was with my dad. <laughs> that tracks based on everything you said. That's amazing. Do you have a least favorite performance in this movie, Scott Glenn? So it's Scott Glenn. It's Jack Crawford. I can't stand it. And you know yeah. what? Praise the method. Great, great. I hate it. <laughs> I want none of it. I, for my favorite performance, I can't help but be a little biased and just go with like the performance that I'm most in awe of and that feels the most fun to me because it truly does feel like you said like a seven way tie between a million people in this movie, right? It's got to be Ted Levine as Buffalo Bill. I love the voice. I love the way he moves. It's like the way he, the physicality Ted does as Buffalo Bill is really good. I love the sweatpants rolled three times. Mm. I just, like you said, it's like, I want to be his friend. 
of course, having seen this movie so many times, I want to be his friend. Do not endorse his actions, but I want to get a beer with him. I don't know if, if I have a least favorite performance. And so instead, I'll list a couple more people that are just one line type people that I absolutely adore that like if you've seen this movie as much as we have, you're like, yeah, I know who that is. I love the two guys who get eaten and disemboweled in the courtroom scene. I love, I don't remember the name of like the commanding officer at the time, but he's got that weird, long, thin mustache. Yeah. So good. I love whoever that is. I think he does a great job and he's leading the whole thing of like, we think he's on the roof of the elevator. And also when the other FBI guy is talking to the guy without a face, (laughs) who turns out to be Anthony Hopkins. And he's like, what what do I say to him? And the commanding officer it's, goes, "It's Pembry, it. goddamn it! <laughs> it's Jim Pembry, damn it! Talk to him. <laughs> You're looking real good, Jim. <laughs> Fully just on the floor. One, not Jim Pembry. It's Hannibal Lecter with Jim Pembry's face on top of his face. You are looking at." You were looking at a body with a bloody face on it. Looking real good, Jim. You're looking real good. You're looking real good. (laughs) This is why I'm so glad you were the person to bring on this movie. Because other people, I think, who haven't seen this movie this often do not get why I am laughing my ass off at... (laughs) You're looking real good. You're looking so good. Well, oh god, my my collection of movies was truly wild because a lot of them did skew as like dad movies because that's who I watched movies with as a kid. Um, but now I, I watch more movies with my mom. But I, I think one of the other films I brought up with like what I had, I, I wanted to make you watch, watch Lord of the Rings. I, I wanted to be the person that gets mad. Have you, you haven't. I, oh I did it for If He's Listening. My brother-in-law, Joachim Mortfight, he said, I, you've never seen these movies and they're very important to me. And so we, we started a tradition, maybe during the pandemic, where each time we would all convene for like a holiday or something, we would watch the next one in the thing together. And he and I <laughs> usually would accompany it with getting some kind of disgusting fast food that nobody else in the family wanted to eat. So for a while it was like, we're going to watch the next Lord of the Rings, and we're going to eat Popeyes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, shout out you, Kim. Thank you so much. I thought that was going to be my burden, and a weight has been lifted. But I was going to... I was prepped to come in with one of the Lord of the Rings films. Mm-hmm. Silence of the Lambs. Um, 27 Dresses. Ooh. We take a turn. We take a turn Ooh. there. And then the final... One, because I was like, because I was like, all my movies are dad movies, but I I watched movies at my mom's, and I was like, 27 Dresses, but then Sound of Music (gasps) is a film that I have watched with my mom multiple times, and this is my little shout out, because here's the thing, your show is all about cable TV. I had cable at my dad's house. I did not have cable at my mom's house Mm. until maybe 2002 or three. So if we weren't watching like a VHS tape or anything or, you know, like PBS, one of the channels and the specials that I would tune into religiously was the ABC, the Wonderful World of Disney 
on ABC Mm -hmm. and it was Sunday nights, I think. And this is where like Sound of Music is playing. This is where the Brandy Whitney Houston Cinderella happened. Oh yeah. I didn't realize that those were like televised like that, but Yeah. Guess what, non cable folks? Basic cables gotcha. And (laughs) I love that. It is I I didn't really think about that, that there are so few movies that get shown regularly in their entirety on network TV. Sound of Music is one of them that weirdly they show at Easter. And really the other big one I can think of is the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> like networks will show that on Easter. They will show the Ten Commandments. Can't say I've ever tuned in. <laughs> I'll watch Easter Parade. You wish they showed that on network. No, that's yeah. got to be a TCM. Yeah, it is. It is. Me and Ben. Me and Ben Mankiewicz. Ben Mankiewicz. Ugh. I remember when I moved here and got a job on a HBO show, so technically owned by Time Warner. And I was just like, okay, so how do I leapfrog this into working for TCM? How do I get on that back lot? <laughs> and I was delivered the worst blow of my lifetime, which is... That's all in Atlanta, Madeline. I said, are you fucking kidding me? TCM is not in Hollywood. They said, no, they do all that in Atlanta. And I said, fuck that. And mark my words, in my lifetime, I will move TCM to Hollywood. I will do I, it. I'm aghast at right? this news. I'm so upset. I know. They did their, they got their brand spanking new set and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the old one. I miss the Spanish style. I do, too. (laughs) I have two favorite things about going home. It's seeing my mom and then tuning into TCM with her. Bonus third thing, texting Madeline Cook about the film I'm actively watching on cable television. (laughs) TCM. (laughs) Because I will every single time. There has also been at least more than one occasion, too, where we are home at the same time. And we're watching the same thing on TCM across town. <laughs> in our individual homes. And we're like, are you watching Splendor in the Grass? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, baby, started it five minutes ago. <laughs> Me and Jim are five minutes in. Sue missed Ben's opening, but she's coming in now. Like <laughs> <laughs> That, if I had to pick categorically one thing that I miss the most about cable, it would be TCM. Yes. Hands down. Best... Yeah best channel out there folks yeah 100 percent. any other uh final thoughts before we wrap up silence of the lambs anything else you're dying to talk about about silence of the lambs oh my goodness i do have some trivia i want trivia gene hackman was the first person to buy the rights to the novel and he planned to direct the movie and either play hannibal lecter or jack crawford and then after he saw himself in mississippi burning do not recommend that film um he was like i don't want to do another violent movie that was too much to play like a violent person in that movie so i'm not going to do that but that would have been a very different movie yeah this is more of a fun fact the first moth cocoon found in one of the victim's throats so found in in freddie bimmel's throat is made from a combination of tootsie rolls and gummy bears so it would be edible if swallowed I, I, I knew about this one, and there's another one where they had the moths, like, shipped to... Phil- I think they're filming in, like, Philadelphia. They had the moths shipped there, 
and they froze. So to film the scene, there's a scene where we're in the basement and Buffalo Bill's sewing, but you get um, like wide shot of the moths and like there's, they're on like fishing line. There's just like people on set just wiggling <laughs> these frozen moths. Probably these dead, I'm 99% sure that's a fact. That's crazy. I actually did notice too, because the last time I watched this movie, I didn't do like a very recent rewatch for this because I truly watched it like a week ago because past guest of the podcast, Anna Johnson, had never seen it before. And it was Halloween. And I said, I'm going to force you to watch this. It's important. And she pointed out something that I never noticed, which is when Clarice enters James' house and it's kind of that standoff or whatever and she's noticing all these things like oh shit this might be buffalo bill she sees like the butterfly mural or whatever Mm -hmm. and then finally she sees a death's head moth flutter onto like some sewing supplies Mm -hmm. you can see there is like a tiny string meaning that that thing was on a fucking leash (laughs) yeah don't let it loose (laughs) can you imagine being the moth handler for this movie like i never really thought about that moth wrangler the, the Death Head Moth is a pivotal character. Yes. She served all those oh my moths. God. They did a great... All the animal actors in this film were iconic. Mm. The other big, um, I think, crazy thing about... Trivia that I think is nuts about this movie, about Scott Glenn specifically, is that as part of his like research into becoming jack crawford he met with a bunch of people at the fbi and the behavioral science unit and somebody there said to him like if you really want to like go through the training that people go through to be a part of this unit they listen to tapes the bitterker and norris tapes yeah yes. for those for those true crime girlies out here um they listen to audio recordings that serial killers bitterker and norris made of them torturing women <laughs> Um, And that's like required training to enter the FBI or at least the behavioral science unit of the FBI. And so Scott Glenn was like, yeah, I'll do that. (laughs) What a casual podcast for me to listen to. I'd love to do this for my character. He notably made it only a minute into the recordings of which I think there are like hours of it. And he was like, I should have never done that. That was a stupid decision of me. Um, what did he say? He said that he feels he lost a sense of innocence in doing so, and he has never been able to forget what he heard. I wouldn't either. <laughs> uh, you, you fucked yourself, perf- Scott. You did, a, you did a good performance, even though I don't really like it. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're like, that was a waste. That was a huge waste. Scott, I want to see someone on the freaking warpath, man. <laughs> there is, I will say something so funny and tragic about seeing a performance that you don't particularly enjoy and then finding out that whoever did it went method and was a menace on set to get that performance. And then you're like, for that, honey? <laughs> Ooh! <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> was it worth it? That's all the trivia that I had. But So the the final question that I always ask on this podcast is, do you have a more contemporary movie that you think should cable tv continue on for the younger generations that you think would make a good tv movie for for the youth of today 
I have one shameless plug and then one answer. Yeah. <laughs> my, okay. shame, my shameless plug is for my favorite movie. Truly, I think my number one movie, and it has been for years, that isn't streaming anywhere. It's never been available on streaming. And it's the fall. I always forget if this is from 2007 or 2008. I think it's 2007. It's starring Lee Pace. And it is my favorite movie. Folks, this is a dual story film told Titanic style in the sense that um, you are told a active story. Like there's a character telling a story. I think we're in like 1920s Los Angeles. We're in a hospital and this character is telling a story to a young girl and as you switch the narrative into this story the visuals that you are getting are the visuals that the girl is supplying in her imagination and they are gorgeous everything is filmed on site the colors are vivid it's fantastic if if i can truly bring down like the films that i like into one important aspect it is am i like visually stimulated and mm. this film is gorgeous. So if you love the art of storytelling, if you have recently seen Bodies, 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 and you're like, um, I'm looking for more Lee Pace. I'm looking for oh. more Lee Pace. I'm always looking for more Lee Pace. Aren't we all? Um, I highly recommend The Fall. It's not available streaming anywhere. <laughs> you have to buy it. Or you're like me, and you've been carrying around a DVD for years. Oh, so that's I from love that commitment. That's from 2007, and yes, I'm biased. I want like I'm just trying to find more platforms to promote this film. I'm glad but somebody's doing it. This looks thank, rad. Thank you, and it's I think it's applicable in this sense because truly you can tune in and like oh you're in this 1920s hospital. What's going on? A very youngly pace. I'll watch a little bit, or you tune in into one of the story sequences and it's your standard like fantasy adventure and you can pick up a fantasy adventure anywhere you're like this lo looks pretty i'm gonna i'm gonna watch it and then you're sucked in yeah i love it but my more recent film mm -hmm. that i have i had to think about this for a while but i finally came to the film that truly owned my personality for at least two weeks straight and it's the power of the dog yes cast to perfection gorgeous gorgeous and i'm never really gonna choose a western movie like i'm never like mm, i want a western the fact that i even clicked on power the dog is wild but there are so many layers to this movie and it's one where you can start watching and i, I like what i like about power the dog it's similar to another favorite of mine thank you dad there will be blood yeah love that film it's one where you can pop in and you're like, oh, a classic Western. And then it just takes you on a turn and you are sucked in. Yeah. I feel like because I, because of like both Power of the Dog and There Will Be Blood really, really take their time in their pacing. And like you said, are both very visual movies. And because of that, even though the stories... The stories are somewhat simple and therefore easy to follow, even if you do click in at any point. So, like, you will have missed some stuff, but you can intuit what happened in, like, the first hour. Because guess what? In Westerns, those cowboys love to complain about what's going on. <laughs> They'll they catch you. They love to reassess what just happened. They'll catch you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I... 
and power of the dog is such a good pick too because because it's a netflix movie it likely will never air on cable tv unless somebody fucking buys it from netflix or whatever but so the kids have to choose to watch it and netflix has shown me every single cover variation of power of the dog and i'm gonna tell you right now not all of them are good and if i was a teen just flipping through it i'd be like oh yes power of the sure no 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 so it's yeah it's it's got to sneak up on you or you have a friend like myself who's like i've watched this film three times this week all by myself and i now need more people to watch it and then you force your roommate to watch it and (laughs) yes it was a good look for me what like last spring Honestly, though, someone has to be that person. Someone has to, especially when your whole friend group isn't, like, insane cinephiles, and especially ones that will gravitate towards a slower, quieter type movie, someone's got to be that friend to be like, look, trust me on this one. You're going to turn it on, and you're going to be like, I'm already bored. Trust me. This is a really good movie, and you will enjoy it. I will also mention before uh, just another tidbit about because it reminded me you saw signs of the lambs in a theater i was blessed enough when i first moved here to see silence of the lambs at the hollywood forever cemetery screening synespia and everyone should go to those all the time but especially if you you want to see a scary-ish movie where everybody is on the same page that it is camp people were laughing throughout that whole fucking thing people were having our reactions mm-hmm. to Silence of the Lambs, where they were like, this is hilarious, right? Even the even the small, like, it's Pembry, damn it, talk to him. People were like, ah, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, oh, good. <laughs> I correct. truly think the first time I laughed in this film was an FBI trainer comes up. It, again, within the first two minutes, people, he comes up to Clarice and he's like, Clarice, you're wanted in Crawford's office. And she's like, <laughs> got it. And then she runs out of the frame and this guy, his back has been to us and he's wearing a hat and he turns towards the camera and the camera zooms in on FBI on his hat. <laughs> <laughs> As if you missed the location stamp of Quantico <laughs> about 30 seconds earlier. And it's like that's not that's not a funny part but this film doesn't have a lot of zooms and i'm pretty sure the zooms are that hat zoom and then the zoom on boils dead corpse (laughs) (laughs) and you know what i was here for it i was like i'm buckled in (laughs) i'm ready this is my comedy me fucking too (laughs) um before we say goodbye, do you have anything that you want to plug? Um, well, Madeline knows this, but I am notoriously inactive on social media. I got it. I'm there. But rarely do I post. But my, yeah, my pride and joy is that my Instagram is, I think the latest picture might be from 2016. Love that. What, I, what I've done in between, that's for you to find out in my tagged <laughs> photos. But <laughs> I am there. Um... The name is M. Sh- I think, how do I pronounce it? Don't know, but it's M. Schluls, <laughs> which is M. S. C. H. L. U. L. Z. I never X. noticed that. It's a social media handle from like high school when social media first started that I have never shaken off. But um, I'm gonna promote. I'm gonna promote um, my story graph. And for those of you that are still on Goodreads, get off it. <laughs> delete it 
I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. Get story graph instead of which I'm either Schultz Madeline or Madeline Schultz. Don't know, but I'm there. And you can see what I'm reading. And then all of the information is graphed. Weird. It's like the title's really good. Um, that is but, awesome. I've never yeah, heard of this website. It's fantastic. I'm pretty sure it's woman owned. It operates the same exact way as Goodreads, but it has a better interface design and it provides graphs. It takes the data and puts it in graphs. And that explains who I am as a person. <laughs> that is wonderful. Uh, anything else? I'm all good. Thank you so much for having me. This was a delight. You are my number one movie friend. I, I just, I love being, I'm, I'm glad, like I said, that you were the one to bring on this movie because it does feel so much a part of our friendship and our <laughs> early days of the kernels of becoming a cinephile in high school. I feel That's like true. watching those movies together in my basement or your living room or whatever, that was like the first time that I was interacting with older movies away from my parents being like you are going to watch this movie like it was the first independent hey what if i watch this movie so oh i am so glad you came on to talk about this movie (laughs) thank you yes what should what should we leave with hit me with another hit me with another sounds the lambs quote something that you love another uh sounds the lambs quote how about my favorite yeah that was good Oh my god that was so that was so spot on that was so spot on (laughs) i know exactly what you're fucking talking about yeah (laughs) that vocal fry that britney vocal fry yeah and then he goes that was was good good. (laughs) (laughs) he does almost a jim carrey that was good yes it's it is like his first like break in character where you're like what (laughs) (laughs) he can be a little silly (laughs) Wait. <laughs>